Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. We're thrilled to have Lori Park, the Vice President of Customer Experience at Quest Diagnostics, back for a second episode where we'll dive more deeply into Quest customer experience transformation efforts. Can you tell us more about a specific initiative or other accomplishment that you're particularly proud of? I am really, I mean, we can talk about you know, other pieces on the digital side, but I really am really so excited about our Everyday Excellence Program, which is our cultural piece. And when we launched our branding in 2015, as an organization, a lot of our colleagues here really thought of brand as a logo or communications. And a key part of the messaging as we brought our new branding positioning to life was helping everybody say that a brand is four components. It's the communications, which is the logo and the messaging. It's the environments and what our environments look like. It's how we make product and service decisions. But it's also how our people come to work every day and the people and the behaviors of each of us. And in any given day, excluding the individual testing in our laboratory, we have about a half a million interactions a day between a Quest employee Mm. and a customer. So about 500,000 opportunities a day where we can either help to reinforce how they think of our brand or deteriorate with their experiences. So what we really did was we really helped to launch the Everyday Excellence. And what we wanted to do is to really help people to think about the fact that that brand experience, that overall experience, is really heavily formed by that individual contact with a Quest employee and how to get people to think about it. As part of Everyday Excellence, we have what we call our five guiding principles, which is I'm customer-focused, I am service-driven, I am a professional, I care about quality, and I am knowledgeable. And what we wanted employees to really focus on was that customer, what they needed in that moment, focusing on quality, but also really making sure they were thinking about what's the right thing to do in the moment. I mean, obviously, we are a medical business, and following SOPs is really important, but it's also important to do the right thing by that patient, and there's not going to be an SOP for everything. And I think, you know, it's a journey, and we've got with that many interactions every day, we're not going to get it right every time, but it's making sure we get it right more than not and how to um, also recover when things don't go right. And that's been, I think, something I'm really excited about. And a key part of that messaging is, is everyday excellence isn't about somebody else. It really starts with each and every one of us from our CEO on down throughout the organization. And how do we create that culture where excellence is expected every day, every interaction from every employee. Yeah, that's really interesting. Were there initiatives or things that you did around everyday excellence and those five guiding principles to help signal or convince colleagues that you were taking this seriously, right, that they could go away from standard operating procedures and make deviations or changes as necessary that were appropriate? I can imagine recognition or training or things like that. Well, all of the above. And I think (laughs) the first thing we started with was really the team that really built the launch of it. And it was colleagues from across the organization. It wasn't a bunch of people in our corporate headquarters, though there were a couple of those because that is some of our functions. And then they were the team that actually defined the definitions for what each of our guiding principles meant. They were the ones that thought about the training needs and really what it meant and what it would bring it to life in each of those. And the first test was when they brought the work to me to see, could I really let go? So the first test was to me, and 
I'm going to admit, I had one edit on the I Care About Quality, along with our chief laboratory officer, but we really did let it go. They did great, thoughtful work, and what we wanted to make sure is that when our team members read the work and saw the work product that was being rolled out, that they really saw their own handiwork, that it hadn't been edited, and they were able to say to their colleagues, yeah, that's exactly what our team came up with. What was your edit, by the way? It was something important to our chief laboratory officer, and therefore we made sure it went through, but we had a really good conversation around it. Recognition has been a key piece of it. We've aligned our recognition program around this, and my team handles executive complaints, and Mm. you never like to see a complaint. I always say it's a gift. As we're retraining, we frequently hear, oh, oh, they weren't following this guiding principle. Let me retrain on what that one means in their job. So that, to me, starts to say this is connecting with our leaders in regards to how they think about training and talking to their front line as well. Yeah, that's a great example. So, Lori, you talked about the way these uh, principles were developed. Can you share some examples of barriers that got removed as a result of allowing employees to deliver the right experience? During our supervisor training, we found is, you know, not dissimilar for I think a lot of companies that we are in healthcare, you tailor your experience a little bit region by region. But what we found is, as we brought together some of our leaders from across the company, that different regions interpreted differently maybe what decisions a frontline supervisor could make in a PSC. And a great Mm -hmm. example is we had brought together some of our frontline leaders, our supervisors, and one of them told this great story about a leukemia patient. It was a child who needed a clean room. Quest PSCs are wonderful locations, but we don't have a clean room for a cancer patient. And the phlebotomist said, hey, how about if you give me your number And when it's your daughter's turn to be drawn, we'll just text you and you can bring your daughter in from the car. You'll feel better if you do that. Mm. She made the decision in the moment, what was the best thing for that patient? One of her colleagues said, oh, really? We're allowed to do that? It was a great example of no one's safety was being put at risk. We weren't not following any of our clinical SOPs, but they were able to say, oh, I can make that decision in the moment on what's the best thing for that child. And I think it opened an example because they just said, hey, you've got a phone. I've got a phone. If you give me your number, I'll text you. Yeah. I love that example, too, because of the colleague. So many of the barriers we found for customer experience delivery are perceived barriers, right? Barriers in your mind that you say, oh, we're allowed to do that. It's like, did anyone actually actively tell you you couldn't? No, you just assumed, right, that uh, it wasn't how you'd been trained to do it. So therefore, it was not approved, whereas... You know, there are endless permutations to the experience and to people's needs and customers' needs, as as sort of you were just outlining one that was very much a unique case there. And so you can't possibly script for all of those outcomes. You hit a great point because we said if we tried to do an SOP for everything or a script, like it's it's just not possible. So our um, head of patient services likes to use the rule of thumb that if you would do it for your mother, you should probably do it for the patient. (laughs) And so... That's what he goes. It's his simple, would you do it for your mom? Okay, it's probably okay. (laughs) So um, it's his mom rule. He said, you know, there's some common sense around it. But I think what we are seeing across the organization as an entire organization, we're becoming more outside focused. And I think our movement to customer experience was a logical step along that journey. So our CEO, Steve Ruskowski, came in 2012, started you know, making some changes in the organization, added franchises, which are closer to the customer, doing more and more things structurally to the organization, that by the time he added the customer experience element, it was part of that evolution 
of where we were going that people, I think, were ready for some of these other changes that came with it. How are you tracking the progress of culture change at Quest? So, you know, you mentioned that. That's a great example of that one colleague saying, oh, I see now I do have permission to do that. But, you know, on a sort of maybe larger scale, how do you look at the evolution of the culture to know if you're getting to a point where most colleagues are thinking in that new, more enlightened way? This is a conversation we just had recently with one of our senior leaders. And um, off of our annual employee survey, we do have a subset of questions that we use to measure progress as it relates to mindset on this. That's internally focused. The big question is, is, are our customers feeling it? So as it relates to our patient service interactions, we do have um, a key question that we've found is correlated to um, that experience element. So we are tracking the movement in one attribute within our patient experience survey, and we'll be doing something similar for other parts of that experience with our customers, because that, to me, is a real measurement. Are our customers feeling it? You've talked more about the empowering of employees. What about the training? Can you talk a little bit more about the training program? We've used a leader-led approach. So as opposed to um, just I can go on and do my own training, the decision we made around this element was it needed to be leader-led. And the reason we did that is we had heard initially from some of our front lines, oh, yeah, my leader expects me to do this, but they're not doing it. So it's a leader-led discussion with more of a cascade in some of our functions. They're actually doing it as a large group discussion and talking about how do they customize it. So, for example, I love what our legal team has done on their training is they take the materials that have been developed from the training organization and then they say, hey, these really are applicable to legal. Let's take the concept for this session and turn and talk about how it relates to a current legal project that we're working on. I really love that, that they wanted to demonstrate that it's not just for other people, that it applies to them as well. And then a couple of functions within our organization, they supplement the part from the center with some functional specific training. So for example, our patient services organization supplements the training that we have with some really specific training that they've got. One of my favorite videos that they did is how to customize the way you talk to different generations. So in the video, it talked about what are the different needs of maybe someone in the senior population versus a teenager versus an infant. So it really helped to talk about how do you approach differently some of the needs in different age groups. Lori, you've learned a lot in a short period of time here. Imagine someone is starting roughly where you were in late 2013, knowing they've got this job and trying to cram uh, to get ready for it, but they're here in 2017. What would be your advice to someone just starting? The one thing I wish I would have done is I wish I actually would have spent a little bit more time with some of my senior colleagues setting mm -hmm. up some of the governance approach to it. I made the mistake of jumping in and just starting to wanting to learn and get stuff done. And as I've talked to some of my peers in other companies, I see that they're able to move faster in the long run by building some of those critical pieces up at the front. So that is one change I would make. One thing I would highly recommend, though, is the advice that we've gotten around taking the time to think about where's your North Star and what that future state 
high-level future state is going to be while you make the small changes is a really critical piece that um, I would recommend again to others. And I think, you know, we always can do better on communications and that's what we're trying to figure out too is how do we tell this story better and how do we weave it together as part of a broader story for the company because a key piece in my mind is I don't want you to think about, okay, here's what the company's doing for CX, here's what they're doing for IT. To me, it's the approach we've taken is that customer experience weaves in its a why for all the different changes here. It's kind of that binding glue. Well, Lori, this was really enlightening, and, and we really appreciate you sharing so much detail and examples about the work so far that you guys have accomplished at Quest. And I have to keep remembering that this has happened in, in just a short span. It sounds like a lot more work than you could accomplish in two, two and a half years. Thank you for joining us on CXCast, and thank you for speaking with our listeners. Thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with you guys learning from others, learning from my peers out there. I really do. Great. Well, everyone, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week on CXCast. Bye for now. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.